here a minute early. I got uh, Mike Leone from Establish the Run, one of our favorite guests. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing well. Busy week, but another fun fun week of football. Looking forward to uh, honestly, hopefully, hopefully a better week than last week. Got a t- tough week five. So week week five was tough on many. Well, we're, I'm excited to get a chance to talk about it with you. You know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now, all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. And I always be traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. Oh man, I don't know if I'm frozen or Theo's frozen. Hopefully I'm not carrying the show by myself right now. Oh no, looks like I am. Goat District, welcome. Theo's throwing me into, into the role of solo host right now. Um, Yeah. So I guess I know Theo want to talk about waivers and how Fab went this past week. It was a interesting week on Fab where you could get some some running backs for cheap. Uh, the New England situation, I honestly didn't have a feel on who was better between JJ Taylor and Pierre Strong. I had two leagues where I ended up getting both of them for pretty cheap. Just taking a stab. We'll see how long Damian Harris is out, but. They're generally rotating in other backs, even though Ramondre is probably going to be a workhorse. Um, so we'll check, kind of see that usage. It's I think it'll be pretty clear right away which one you want to handcuff and which one you don't. Well, apologizing uh, for the uh, technical difficulties on on my end, and Mike, like a real pro, just jumped in there and crushed it. Um, I, I wouldn't say like a real pro, like like a half pro. It was and a shout out to to, to uh, Yardstream for, Streamyard for the. Um, for like the weird error message I got too. That was awesome when we were on air. <laughs> um, one I haven't seen before, and I'm sure I'll, I'll check in with JD about that one. Um, but yeah, we, we were talking a little bit in the pre-show. I, I'm guessing you just covered the uh, the Patriots uh, running back position. Yeah, I was talking how, like, honestly, I didn't have a great feel on the order of Strong versus Taylor, and I ended up getting them both for pretty cheap in, a, in two of my higher stakes leagues. I had some some spots open, and I got both of them. And I think it'll be pretty clear after this week which one you want to hold on to which one you want to ditch it's you know probably more than likely that it's just workhorse Ramondre and it's not going to matter too much but we'll see if the Damian injury lingers and they do cut back maybe some pass down work for Ramondre with him playing the full 
base total, there might there might be a little bit of value there. Yeah, so I, I cleaned up uh, I cleaned up some strong shares. Um, I I like him a little more than Taylor. I just think that last year we also added Taylor at one point in the season on offer waiver wires. It didn't come into fruition. I think he's a little more limited than Strong is. Uh, Strong's got the speed, the breakaway ability. Um, but you're probably right. It's probably like a moot argument, and neither one sees anything. But it's worth taking some shots. And then I added some DJ Dallas. Not quite as much as I thought I would get. Uh, there was some uh, high demand for him. Uh, do you have any expectations for, for him, or is he just a a true handcuff to maybe a, a high-volume Kenneth Walker? No, I, I think that's a sharp pick. Honestly, I, I didn't bid aggressively on Dallas, but in hindsight, I'm kind of thinking he might have been a better pickup than the New England running backs just because there might be a bit more contingent value and you've got Homer on IR still. So he should be the pass down back. So you might have, you might actually have some like emergency startability with Dallas plus the contingent value. So, I mean, that's kind of how I'm hoping the new England guys are going to be, except the Seattle guys a little bit more obvious than the new England guys. And there might be a little bit more long-term usability from Dallas than there will be for the new England guys. Had an interesting discussion in our in our group chat. We have uh, a couple of these hardway leagues with um, a lot of you know former goat district guests that play high stakes. When there's an all play week in some like week six, we get all play for for the FFPC main event. Would you be setting your lineups as usual, or do you would you break ties with maybe a floor play versus a potential ceiling play if you have that luxury? I think usually I'm, I'm saying my lineup is normal. I think, I think sometimes floor can just be overrated. Like I generally just want the higher ceiling play, especially if you're looking at your lineup top to bottom. Like sometimes we look at it too much in a vacuum of like ceiling play versus floor play in a specific spot. But if I'm loading up ceiling plays in my lineup, there's a better chance that one of those guys has a positive outsized performance that carries me over the line in the week, even if it's a 50, 50 week, Whereas if I totally bust at tight end and I get a six point week, like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I could have taken a guy that was going to give me 10, 11 for sure, but it, I don't think it moves the needle as much. Like I think we overstate how much the floor moves the needle. Whereas if you do get that legitimate ceiling outlier, it matters a bit more. So I'm generally a bit more uh, risk tolerant in my lineup setting. Yeah, I think that people kind of overthink it a little bit. It's a little odd that we get the all play in week six instead of week one. I, I think it would make a little more sense, but yeah, um, you know, it's it's always it's kind of like a new curveball with the extended season. Um, so waivers were a little bit interesting this week. Um, no, no real you know slam dunk guy. You know, we're not going to waste time talking about leagues where you could add Ken Walker. Um, hats off to we were able to add him off the waiver wire, but we're not going to waste your time with that one. Um, but I do want to talk about some rookie running backs. Over the last two seasons, we've seen rookie running backs finish inside the top 12 as RB1s at their position. Right now, we see two that are in the top 10, Brees Hall and Damian Pierce. What are your thoughts on those guys? And do you see them finishing as RB1s? Yeah, I think Brees will finish as an RB1. Uh, I might be hanging on to my priors a little bit too much on Brees versus Pierce, but in my own eyes, I have Brees a little bit more meaningfully ahead. He was a better prospect. There's more draft capital invested into him. Draft capital argument maybe doesn't matter because 
the competition for Houston so minimal that they clearly want to just run with the rookie. Uh, but I think Brees' game is a little bit more diverse too. I know we saw Pierce catch a bunch of short dump offs for not very much yardage last week, but I think Pierce's role, or I think Brees' role is going to be a little bit more robust with what he can do in the passing game. He actually sees some high A dot looks too. So I think no matter what the game script is for the Jets, he's going to have pretty strong value. I am worried for Houston that some of these really strong performances for Damian Pierce start to filter out if they start getting some more negative game scripts. They really, for as bad as they were projected to be in the preseason, their game scripts have been somewhat clean. I mean, not week in and week out, but a little bit more clean than we would have expected where I could see we start seeing some weeks where he's like, you know, 16 for 60 and no touchdowns and like maybe a couple catches. He's going to be startable all year long, obviously, but I'm kind of more on the sell high on on the the, uh, Damian Pierce side than I am on the Brees Hall side. Yeah, and Brees Hall, you can also make the argument that he's kind of leaving a few points on the table because yeah. of the Michael Carter usage. I mean, he could have had a monster game this past weekend if he gets those, even just one of those two touchdowns that Carter had. Um, Hall is just tremendous. And just to touch on Dynasty, where would he be for you as a Dynasty running back right now? Are you considering him over Jonathan Taylor? Or are you, I think that's a little bit early to say that. Um, I think that's a little bit early to say that, but he's probably, I mean, he's like top, top five, right? I mean, easily top three, even coming into the season, depending, I know at ETR, uh, Anthony Amico does a great job with our dynasty rankings. I'm trying to see where he has him in our updated ranks, but we're generally pretty aggressive on youth, especially at the running back position where guys can wash out pretty quickly. Um, so he's got Brees right now as RB2. I, th- I think that's right. Like I think, I think I'd still lean JT because as bad as the front part of the season has run, like JT was elite prospect. We've seen elite production. It's just been kind of a shaky start to the year. Uh, we're actually seeing some encouraging stuff with JT in terms of like the targets out of the gate were better than maybe we had hoped, even though the result hasn't been there. So I'd have JT slightly ahead, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm with the Miko on our ETR ranks and have Brees right there. I did trade in one league prior to the year. I traded the 101 for DeAndre Swift and um, wish I had Brees Hall right now, but I think Swift's probably still top five as well. Yeah, I had one where I traded two 2023 firsts and something like minimal to get the 101 and I, and I got Brees Hall. And then I had a couple other trades where I got the 101 to get Brees Hall. One was like a Derrick Henry um, for a team that was going for it this year, and now it's mm-hmm. not even close. So, yeah, he looks fantastic. Um, one other rookie running back that should be coming along this weekend uh, is Ken Walker. I know you had some very, very strong thoughts on him in the preseason as a guy that really fit in. You're, you're looking very sharp on that one because he looks set to Ted set to smash. Where do you, what are your thoughts on Ken Walker moving forward? And then why don't you rank the three running backs in, in terms of who you would like to have for the rest of the season? Yeah, so Walker was weird because in Dynasty, I was kind of fading Walker where he was going in rookie drafts. I thought after Brees Hall, you would want to go with the wide receivers. But then in season long, his price was so good that it was kind of the opposite, that I was just buying him this elite rushing profile. And it's broken I mean, it could not have broken any better for Kenneth Walker. You get two running back injuries in front of him, Penny gone for the year, and the offense is just way better than we expected. So 
I think Walker is going to absolutely smash. Um, I, I, I kind of think I would take him over Damian Pierce, kind of taking the long view. So I'd rank it Brees Hall, then Walker, then Damian Pierce. But I wouldn't really blame anyone for having Pierce ahead just because we've seen we have a little bit more of actual production to rely on. But I think in terms of pure upside, Walker's a little bit a little bit better here. I actually think Seattle might maintain their offense of production at, at a higher rate than than Houston. So I think the environment will be good for him. And just the big playability should be huge. I mean, the case against him in Dynasty was kind of a case against the running back position in general and guys that maybe don't catch a lot of passes. Like that's like the one gap in Walker's game is we're not sure. I wouldn't say we know he can't catch passes, but he didn't do it much in college. And that's always a concern. But from a redraft rest of the season perspective, I think he's going to be kind of like Rashad Penny was, which is like pretty boomer bust, but like really efficient, big plays and touchdowns. And he could be like Penny was with just a little bit more receiving upside, in my opinion, just because it seemed like they were trying to work him in and feature him even when Penny was healthy. Now that he doesn't really have any impediment besides like DJ Dallas. And like you said, Homer, when he comes off IR, um, he's in a great spot. I would agree with you. I'd rather have him than Damian Pierce for the rest of the season despite Damian Pierce looking just just fantastic. One running back that's not looking very good that had fantastic success as a rookie was Najee Harris. He was RB3 overall last year, and his stock has just dropped like a rock. Um, you know, in terms of how we're treating him as a redraft asset this year and how he's being treated as a dynasty asset, you can't give him away in an FFPC dynasty league right now. If you try to offer him out, for a 2023 first plus, you're getting turned down a lot. I think people are really buying into the narrative that he is going to continue heading down downhill. What are your thoughts on Najee? Can he turn it around for this year? And would you treat him that way in Dynasty as a guy you want to try to get out from under? I think I'd be holding in as far I'll do the dynasty part first. I think I'd be holding just because it's it just generally bad strategy to sell these guys this low unless you think it's going to keep going down. And I think from a dynasty perspective, like I think his where we see him going in redraft next year will be pretty good for a third year running back. You know, like if you just looked at his third year running back and his, his ADP in 2023, he's going to command more value. I think in eight months from now than he will right now, because he's not going to lose this job to someone next year. But rest this season, I'm concerned just because the offense stinks. The knock against him has always been efficiency. So when you get him in an offense that's really bad and he's not 100% healthy, like where does the value come from, especially if he's not going to be catching dump-offs at the rate that he did from Ben Roethlisberger last year? Like That's a real problem right now. Through five games, he only has 15 targets, 13 catches. You know, We, we need that to be five targets a game, not three targets a game. So I'm, I'm definitely concerned for him rest the season, but I don't think you should just punt him off in, in dynasty right now. I guess if you're in a win now situation, it's, it's tough because he's probably not going to produce for you, but otherwise I'm just holding Najee in dynasty. So reassure the people he's not Trent Richardson in your eyes. There's some Trent Richardson people out there. Um, I don't think he's Trent Richardson. I think there's a little bit more juice in the receiving game for Najee Harris, but 
I if I were to sell Najee Harris, I'd wait and do it at like next August when his again, I think his redraft ADP is gonna end up being fine next year. You know, I think he's gonna be a top three round pick when all said and done. Um, still. But what do you think? Do you think he'll he'll still I mean he's probably he's definitely like out of the first round. Yeah, I like, mean I think I think when it all comes said and done, if if we're slightly bullish on the Steelers offense. I think he's a late second round pick, but I think the downside would be he's treated kind of like a Nick Chubb was where he falls mm-hmm. um, where we saw Nick Chubb going in the, you know, the fourth round in some of these leagues at times, like the end of the third. So I think it, you're right. He probably has um, a little bit of juice to kind of, you know, maintain a top like 30 value in, in, in redraft. But I think that there's a chance that, I'm a little worried about Jalen Warren looking really good and him is kind of becoming a a pass catching back there. And he seems to have Tomlin's favor. So I don't know. I do not have too much Najee Harris left. Uh, I did offer him for Travis Etienne and James Robinson. um, And I threw on something else and I was turned down for that one. So I might take that one, like a two outs kind of deal, a full backfield where I might, I'm pretty bullish on Etienne gaining some value here. And yeah, I think that's kind of an interesting argument to have uh, in ETN versus Harris. But right now I think the community might be on ETN. So if you're on Najee Harris and you believe in him, this is the the cheapest I've ever seen him in dynasty uh, since he was a rookie prospect. So, you know, go ahead and take a shot. Um, the rookie wide receivers this year have really flashed. We've seen Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, Romeo Dubs all have some impressive performances and they all kind of look the part. One player who seemed to break out last week that's that's become a goat district favorite, well, I really like him, is uh is Alec Pierce. What are your thoughts on Pierce moving forward? Yeah, I like Pierce. Pierce, it's interesting. I did a wide receiver prospect podcast with Amico, again, who does our ranks at ETR for Dynasty prior to the NFL draft. And you know, one of the questions I was asking people when I was doing those pods on ET was like, who's kind of like your pet guy where if the draft capital is better than you expect, you would get excited. And for him, it was Alec Pierce. So we've liked him prior to getting the better draft capital than was expected. And the fact that he's earning volume at a high rate the last few weeks, and he's shown some efficiency are really good signs for him. Uh, I was someone who was out on the Michael Pittman price in redraft. So I have a little bit of bias there, certainly, but I'm I'm pretty bullish on Alec Pierce. I think he's also a good target to go get because the actual fantasy point production, you know, hasn't been huge. So you might be able to kind of acquire him at a decent rate where we see some signal, but we haven't seen huge results follow. And if people didn't have very strong priors on Alec Pierce, they might be willing to kind of think they're cashing in on a profit early. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's a that's a great call uh, by Amico. He's he's a guy that like you would draft him in the second round of some of these rookie drafts, and he you li- I like the athleticism profile, and I liked him the idea of him as a deep threat like a big play guy, but it seems like he's really winning on all levels here. He's able to win on the intermediate routes, and he fights for every single ball. So I was really impressed with him. And especially how he had the early concussion and then he was able to come back and, and be utilized like he is, he's being utilized. 
So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where this uh, ship goes. We had uh, Billy Wazowski, the Rotowire online online championship winner from the NFFC last uh, last year, and Bit Mandel, one of the best FFPC players around, on a high stakes roundtable this week, and we all had to choose Alec Pierce or Juju Smith Schuster for the rest of the season, and every single person picked Alec Pierce. So there's a lot of people very bullish on seeing where this is going. Um, where would you be on that one? I mean, I I have the rose-colored glasses with Juju, so I'd still be taking Juju. I do kind of like an underperforming wide receiver model uh, over at ETR, and Juju's been on it for the last couple of weeks, which means one of two things. It means he stinks or he's going to perform better moving forward, and I think the jury's still out a little bit, but he's had four out of his five games. He's had eight targets from Patrick Mahomes. He's leading the wide receivers in snaps and in target share there. It hasn't been a huge target share. It's been around 18%, but I think I think he's going to start performing better. I think we're going to see a little bit more efficiency per catch. Even in the game last week, you know, he's tackled inside the five a couple of times. You know, he turns one or two of those into touchdowns. We might feel a little bit better about him purely off that variance than we do right now. So I'm I'm a sucker for Juju. So I'd still take Juju rest of season. I think the high end upside too is a little bit better just because of the offense around him. Even if it's, you think like the talent gap edge goes to Pierce. Yeah. He's interesting. Um, I hope he, I hope he has a big game this weekend. So you don't have to consider using the word redacted. Well, I mean, he, he can wait another week. He's got the bills this weekend. So he can, he can have a counting stats game. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll go, yeah. we'll go 10 for a hundred and zero and for a hundred and, and, and a bills victory. I'm sure you'll take that one. What's your thoughts on Wondell Robinson? He's kind of one of the the last few second round rookie wide receivers that we're waiting to see. Uh, Traylon Burks, and, and I would say, is this was a disappointing start. The usage was trending up. He's a nice stash if you have an IR spot. Sky Moore, I think people are generally happy to stash him and see where it goes. But Wondell Robinson, I think there's kind of some mixed opinions here. What do you expect his usage to look like? Uh, is he a guy you're bullish on right now? I mean, bullish might be a little strong, but with the Giants in general, they're just so dead at wide receiver that, like, I have leagues where I'm stashing Tony too. It just seems like it's never going to happen, but there's enough uncertainty there. And I kind of like to play into the uncertainty of the situation and the available opportunity and just hope when these guys finally get on the field that they're able to produce. So I would be holding Wandell until we see him play and not perform. And then that's when, when I'd be get rid of him, getting rid of him. So even in redraft, I'm holding him in, in a few spots, just again, like, I mean, Richie James had a productive role for the giants. Like it's, it's a coach too, that probably wants to throw a little bit more than they have they do run at a little bit of a fast pace in terms of like some of the play clock stuff. If you look at it in a neutral situation. So uh, I'm, I'm still hopeful that, you know, like one at Tony or Wandell finally get healthy and there's just nobody blocking either of them. If they can get healthy. I can't find myself ever cutting Tony. I'll be holding him for, for years. Uh, just banking on, on another game like he had last year against Dallas. Um, but Robinson, I'm, I'm maybe a little, more bullish than you are just because like you said, Richie James had success. I think Robinson will step right into the slot, get those low A dot targets that Daniel Jones is capable of, of making. 
Mm-hmm. And they just need help. Saquon needs help. And that team kind of has like a little bit of juice right now. And I think that a little bit of a shot in the arm from Wandell would go a long way. So I'm I'm interested in him. He's a guy that that I've been trying to stash where possible. Another rookie. That, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I was gonna say he like he's looks like he's on track to play this week too. And Tony's still out, so like he's gonna get his his shot here pretty soon. So, um, and I just have to say the Tony stuff's absurd. You know, he hurt hurts one hamstring, hurts the other hamstring, which was a different hamstring than the one he had hurt last year. It's just the whole. It's just absolutely insane. I'm. He's, he's testing the uh, – there's no such thing as injury-prone players. Uh, we, we may have our example that there is. It's like a punchline because even when he was there, they refused to use him, and then he's injured all the time. And it's a guy that so many people were bullish on. I mean, some of the sharpest drafters that I know in high stakes, Tony was like the guy that they were trying to get over and over and over again um, in like that sixth round, and it's just been a, a total bust. And also the – yeah. The Tony, the Tony Wandell Robinson double down in best ball was so common. And now you're just holding like the, the double zero every single week. So it's, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough, tough one, but hopefully we'll see something from Wandell, like you said, this weekend. And we're all just waiting for Tony. It would be awesome if Tony gave us like, just give us four usable fantasy weeks at this point. I think we'll take that Four wide receiver two. Weeks. Oh yeah. We'll take uh, it. Another another rookie that's coming to make his debut um, is Greg Dulcich. He's coming off of an IR off off of IR, and it seems to me that he's got a clear path to usage. What are your expectations for him? I know the Denver Broncos offense has had tons of issues. They're not putting up touchdowns, and Russell Wilson looks really pretty poor at times. And Nathaniel Hackett leaves a lot, a lot to be desired um, in terms of what we're seeing from that offense. Do you think Dulcich could be useful for them and useful to us as fantasy managers? Yeah, I, mean, I certainly think he could be useful to them, but I mean, they won't play Albert O, which just seems it's a weird. little bit crazy based on his success. Even if you're not playing him full time, I get it because maybe he's not capable of doing some of the blocking stuff that you're expecting him to be doing, but. He's been, you know, he played two percent snaps in week four. He was back up to twenty percent, which still isn't very good. Uh, I'm worried Dulcich is like they're just going to have such a rotation there that I think it'll help the offense to have a more athletic, a higher upside tight end than throwing to Salbert and you know back the guys that they've been using uh, over Albert O. And, but I don't know. I'm, I have a tough time seeing the path to him being like really breaking out in an important way for fantasy. He missed so much of camp in the off season and rookie tight ends generally take time to begin with that. I'm probably a little, I mean, there's part of me that's just like, okay, athletic tight end, Albert O is buried. Like why not roll the dice? But if I'm trying to really pin down what I think is going to happen, it's um, I think it's going to take another year. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm, I'm holding him where I can, um, and I'm, I'm taking kind of a, an optimistic approach just because tight end is, is so bad. I mean, Dan Williamson and I had a team where we used Mo Alley-Cox this past weekend. Um, Kate Otten, if you had him this past weekend, you were thrilled about it. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's just a tough, tough position. Um, and I did like his profile. Yeah, I mean, the FFPC leagues where you have 10 bench spots, like sometimes you just have to roll the dice. So like, even if you don't, like if you're like me and you don't think it happens for Dulcich, 
you could still see where he's worth rostering because the chance that it, even if you think it's a small chance, the chance that it hits could be so impactful. I have a team even with like Dawson Knox and Gerald Everett. And I'm like, like, I keep hoping Trey McBride too, like in the rookie tight end bowl, I'm like that, that tight end role for Arizona is so good. If they flipped Ertz or if Ertz got hurt and, and McBride finally was starting to see the field that I definitely understand stashing them as like third tight ends, Again, like maybe like low probability plays, but if they hit, your opportunity cost is just just kind of low. So that's why I'm like, I hate to sound like I'm like middling it on Dulcich, but that's that's part of the reason where the strategy doesn't necessarily line up with the exact way I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think definitely at the very least worth taking shots on. This weekend we get maybe the game of the year in the playoff rematch between Buffalo and Kansas City. What are your thoughts on and on on the game and your prediction for the game? Yeah, I'm I'm excited for all the pass attempts we're going to see for fantasy. Uh, each week, I kind of release the pass rate over expectation numbers. Get those from NFL Fast R and Casey and Buffalo are just insane at the top. Like no matter the game script, these teams are taking advantage of who they have at quarterback, pressing that advantage as much as they can with their pass rates over expectation. I actually got burned by Buffalo a little bit in DFS this past week because I thought they might tone it down a little bit with some wind in the game and just the huge spread against Pittsburgh, and they they absolutely did not. They actually had their highest pass rate over expectation game of the year. So Gabe Davis I'm, helped a little bit with uh, yeah, that. Yeah, that, not a bad DFS play. Not, not at all. That helps. I do think like from DFS, Gabe actually probably will be over – owned quite a bit this week the combination of the huge week last week everyone amped for this game and what he did against kansas city last year i could see people maybe ha- he's gonna be i think he's still gonna be like pretty boomer bust but um and i was i was very in on gabe i'm still very in on gabe just that's like purely a dfs like game theory type play in gpps though i could see where um you might want to lean in on digs and the other receivers a bit more if people play gabe too much but from a fantasy perspective you know i'm hoping to see Juju turn these like eight targets or so into something at some point. And then on the Buffalo side, I'm I'm just so confident that no matter what happens, they're going to put the ball in Allen's hands on, on the KC side. I, I don't know if they tried to get cute with the run game a little bit. Buffalo's defense kind of invites teams to run a little bit more than you would expect. And, um, in the past, we've kind of seen Buffalo versus Kansas City try to do that with varying degrees of success, usually failure, um, but they usually try to make KC be pretty patient. So that matchup I'm pretty interested in seeing. I predicted uh, on the show this week, I said Buffalo by a touchdown. Let's go. Is that What's your prediction here, Mike? Is it going to be a close, close game, or do you think Buffalo is going to take care of business? I think Buffalo – I'm going to go with 31-27 Buffalo, which – pretty boring prediction because it's pretty much right in line with the, with the Vegas expectation, but that's what I'm going with. I think it's going to be close, but I think Buffalo is going to pull it out and man, it's really exciting season as a Bills fan. It's awesome. So. It's, it's tremendous uh, for Bills fans. It's like a dream season and you it's the uh, Pat, the narrative is Patrick Mahomes is six zero and one as an underdog. He's never lost as an underdog in terms of covering he had one push and six wins as a dog, but I think that they Buffalo breaks the streak this week and uh, and the Bills cover. Um, one of, there's one player that's a little bit difficult right now for fantasy managers uh, in terms of 
a Buffalo Bill or Kansas City Chief. I think in the formats we play in, you're you're playing Juju no matter what. Um, you know, he's still a yeah. wide receiver three. But Devin Singletary gives a lot of people pause. His two best games were the Miami game and the Baltimore game, two very close games, one win, one loss for the Bills. Some other games he left a lot to be desired and gave you a pretty low fantasy stat line. Are we? Should we be playing the matchups with Singletary? Do you want to play Singletary each week because we're going to leave points on the board? How would you treat Devin Singletary for the average fantasy player? Yeah, he's super volatile, but I do think there's a some signal there in what you mentioned with his good games coming against top-tier opponents in games that were projected to be competitive, were competitive in actuality. His snap shares those games were 73% and 88%. His other three games, he hasn't top 60%. So he's clearly the guy that they rely on a bit more, you know, kind of when the going gets tough and they need a guy that they, they can rely on. The difficult part is even understanding that his usage is really all over the board in terms of like, we're not expecting a huge goal line role for him his role in the past games up and down that game against Miami, he kind of fell into a ton of targets, but I don't think that's going to be the norm for him. So like he's, I'm trying to think of like a a good comparison for him as far as like who I would start. Like I'd be starting Miles Sanders over him. I mean, maybe that's too obvious at this point in time, but Raheem Mostert. Yeah. I think Mostert's a good one where I think I, I think that's like, the litmus test is like a week like this week, I'd be starting Singletary over Moster. And then maybe in some of these games that are a little bit more on the blowout side of things, I'd go with Moster just worrying about the snaps being capped. I know from projecting it from a DFS perspective, it's really hard because sometimes he projects better against these worst teams because we expect Buffalo to run more and we expect like maybe a higher percentage of rushing touchdowns in those games. And like that slides over to the running back. But then we see that, you know, a game like last week where the pass rate over expectation just stays super high. And then we see Zach Moss get mixed in. We see James Cook get mixed in. So uh, it's really difficult, but I'd be starting him over Mostert this week. I'd probably be starting him over like AJ Dillon this week. And then other weeks I could see that being flipped. Some guys I would be starting over him like every week. I think like the confidence in Melvin Gordon's role right now for Denver, as bad as their offense has been, I'd be starting Melvin Gordon and CH on the other side of that Bills KC game ahead of Singletary. Pick a stash for the rest of the season out of these Bills and Chiefs. Sky Moore, Khalil Shakir, James Cook, Isaiah Pacheco. If you could pick one of these guys to have on your 20 man rosters for the rest of the season, who would it be? I think it's Sky Moore. And the reason for that is even though I'm still like holding on to Juju, we haven't seen MVS or Juju really run away with that wide receiver role. We're starting to see Sky more play a little bit more. A couple of weeks ago, I called Sky more a drop and like you're more standard like home league where you just don't get the big bench. But even in those formats, I could see starting to pick him up a bit more. His snaps have increased you know, three consecutive weeks, 4%, 13%, 28%, 35%. Still not a whole ton of usage. I think he got both his targets like super late when they were kind of running the clock out. They ran some screens to him in that game against the Raiders. But I, I could see him breaking out in a meaningful way. A lot of people liked him as a prospect, thought he was underrated as a prospect. We talked about Alec Pierce getting better draft capital than expected. Sky Moore to some extent. 
maybe by draft time it was expected where he went but leading up to draft time there was a little bit more of a question mark there so i'll go with sky i think he's a better stash than shakir i'm worried that you know when mckenzie's back um i'm also worried that they could sign someone or bring someone in that shakir might be more of like a multi-year play than a and, and i could see sky I think Scott, Sky's just got less competition on the very high end. Like if you're looking at the outcomes that really matter, Sky could be the wide receiver one for Kansas City, right? Whereas Shakir, your high end outcome is basically what happened last game, which is the, the passing game so good that even the third guy in the passing game gets there. But he's not going to leapfrog Gabe Davis. He's obviously not going to leapfrog Stefan Diggs. I think the bullish argument with Shakir would be you've already seen Gabe Davis miss a game. McKenzie's now missed two. Dawson Knox has missed a game and he showed that he can at least be a reliable weapon, but you've got me a little paused on that and uh, probably flip back to sky with that argument. The the wide receiver one argument is a very good one. Um, one wide receiver who's having a tremendous year is Hollywood Brown. He's wide receiver six overall, and he has three top six finishes at the position, which I believe like, doubled his his previous career total I think he's maybe had like two top five wide receiver finishes in his entire career heading into this year and now he's got three top six ones what are your expectations for him moving forward and how do you expect the Arizona offense to shake out when DeAndre Hopkins returns yeah so I'm on Hollywood over DeAndre Hopkins rest of the season I think at this point, we got to give into the youth there uh, a little bit more uncertainty in a bad way on the Hopkins side of things with him not playing. I think he's going to be solid. I think it's going to help the offense overall. I know like Levitan for us is a little bit bearish that Nuke is going to move the needle at all, like at his age and some of the some of the decline that he had last season. But last season, his issue was kind of earning targets at as high of a rate as he did in the past. From an efficiency perspective, he was still fine. And I mean, you get aj green off the field hopefully who is dust i don't see any way that doesn't help a lot because it's been such a boomer bust offense if they can sustain some more drives early deandre hopkins is going to help them do that so i don't know if it's this massive negative for marquise brown uh in terms of wide receiver workload i had tweeted out like expected fantasy points and the top five is like just almost the eight, the wide receiver ADP. It's Cooper Cup, Devonta Adams, Stefan Diggs, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. It's part of the reason we take those receivers early is we know who who's good enough to earn that volume. But number six is Marquise Brown right behind them. So his finishes have not been fluky in terms of like, he's not like he's running super hot on efficiency. Maybe they're a little bit fluky in terms of the game scripts have dictated Arizona just playing these kind of frantic come from behind situations but he's earning volume which is like a really legitimate skill so uh we've got him like i think just outside the top 30 overall players rest of the season um yeah we've got him 33rd and wide receiver 17 i could even see an argument for him being maybe more like wide receiver 15 uh rest of the season so i'm still pretty bullish on marquise brown i'm not panicking about deandre hopkins coming in i think some of the volume reduction will offset with just the offense being a bit more stable and having a bit more high-end upside. No, I love Hollywood Brown right now. Um, I think maybe Hopkins affects Zach Ertz slightly, where we see maybe a, a, a slightly less uh, targets for Zach Ertz. And I think Hollywood steps in to maybe gets that 18 to 20% uh, target share that he was at last year. 
But I think Hollywood Brown, I agree with you. Um, I think that he's clearly the, the play in Arizona. He also just looks good. He's left some points on the board this year too. Yeah. The, the first game, I, I believe he dropped a touchdown. Uh, and then we had another where he was tackled on the one-yard line. So he's he's just smashing. Uh, and I'm hopeful that, that DeAndre Hopkins kind of elevates Kyler a bit. Kyler's QB5, but you wouldn't even know it. It's been kind of an ugly QB5 season. And I, I went Kyler over Jalen Hurts in a few drafts. I wish yeah. I could I could trade that now, but I'm still hopeful that at least Kyler kind of cuts into that that tier because right now it's QB four and then a big drop off. What's your thoughts on Rondell Moore, who also returned? He looks pretty good to me. Do you are you bullish on him rest of the way? I'm like cautiously optimistic. I've been in on Rondell since day one, and you know we haven't. It looked like it was going to be immediate wheels up. He had like a huge game early in the season, and then it just didn't it, it didn't happen for him. But I've been really excited for his usage out of the gate the first two weeks. You know, ninety percent snap shares, even though he wasn't quite one hundred percent healthy, wasn't getting in full practices. They've been trying to get him involved. The ADOT, I believe, is a little bit better than it was last year. You might want to check me on that because that's just like anecdotal off the top of my head. Well, last but, year it was so low. Yeah, it's, year, yeah. I was pretty safe saying that. Yeah, it's, you can say that about, you, you don't need to double check that one because last year was about as low as it can get. I want to look up what it's been. But yeah, high teens, target shares. I guess the issue with Rondell for me that's been like concerning is like, okay, kind of missed a really good window to to do some actually give fantasy points to your team as well as look good in the eyes of the coaching staff and whatnot and now that window shrinks with deandre hopkins coming back and like how much volume is there to go around is so i've i've got him i i think he should be stashed everywhere the adot checking out has been 5.8 it was 1.4 last year so we're using him 1.4 is insane. 1.4 is like the most insane thing ever. Like 5.8 is mega, mega low. But at least it's like more like using him like a, like mixing in the gadget stuff with normal wide receiver stuff. So it's, it's first of all, I do want to – your point on Ertz I think is a really good one. I could see him getting squeezed. I do have like a negative prior on Ertz where I thought he was overdrafted and then like very clearly this role so far for Arizona at tight end has been like an extremely valuable role, especially when you look at what's going on with tight ends that aren't named Kelsey or Andrews. Like the role is so good in terms of like some freebie catches, red zone usage. But yeah, if Rondell is going to be good and DeAndre Hopkins comes in and we like Marquise Brown, like someone's got to get squeezed here because they're not a team that's going to chuck at a level of a Buffalo or a Kansas city. Like they play up tempo, but they don't, they're pretty neutral in terms of where their pass rate is going to be at relative to game script. And um, that's my one concern with Rondell is like how startable would he ever get week to week unless, unless DeAndre Hopkins is, I guess you the ideal situation for Rondell would be DeAndre Hopkins is good enough to help the offense, but not good enough to command a lot of targets, but that's like a pretty fine needle to try and thread. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting one to see kind of where it plays out with Rondell. He's a guy that, you know, when he was a prospect, people talked about his big playability. We have seen it only a few times. So maybe he could, he could you know, at least have a few 
you know, long yardage type plays, maybe that could result in touchdowns and kind of push him up a little bit. But uh, I mean, I'm intrigued like you are. I have him on some rosters. I, I'm going to have to start him in one league because of buys and uh, other leagues. I have him on the bench, um, but I'm happy. I have him. Yeah. I'm pretty bullish on Kyler too. You mentioned Kyler. Um, I'm similar to you. I wish I had taken more hurts. I was kind of like, I think Philly could smash this year, but I, I don't know exactly how to play it because the ADPs are pretty strong. Did end up with a lot of AJ Brown, which has been a bit of a tease because it's been like, Oh man, he's going to smash. And he hasn't quite smashed, even though it looks like really good for him. But bringing it back to Kyler, you know, the rest of the season best ball stuff that's been going on, the quarterback ADP has been pushed up like quite a bit with the performances from Allen, Hurts, and Lamar. And Kyler's is kind of muted. Like him and Tom Brady are the two quarterbacks if you're doing like rest of season drafts that seem like really good values to me. One wide receiver playing tonight is Terry McLaurin. How concerned should fantasy managers be with him? Washington's been more pass happy than I would have anticipated in the preseason. And yet McLaurin's only wide receiver 31. He hasn't had a double digit target game all year. And it's been like six straight, six targets a few times lately. Or should people be worried here? I'm mega worried about McLaurin, especially like after last week, you know, Diami Brown comes in with Dotson being out and, you know, he gets the downfield targets and looks and he converts on them and the quarterback play hasn't been very good. So I'm pretty concerned. I also think their pass rate as high as it's been, I've got their expected pass rate, like the last four weeks at like 73%, 70%, 74%, 68%. So they've found them, you know, I mentioned like Arizona being like these frantic game scripts, like Washington has been in that spot where they've been not only having to call a bunch of plays from behind uh, and throwing at a high rate, but then they've, Wentz has like threaded the needle in a few of these games where he's been bad enough to get them in the negative game script, but then like good enough late that they're, they're stat padding and like I think one of two things is going to happen more than not, which is those bad games are just going to stay really bad and he's not going to get the garbage time stats. Or we're going to see games like tonight's game against the Bears that play a little bit more even, and we're going to see that this team's not as pass happy as we expected, that their pace is not as good as we expected. So I'm concerned because if he's not getting it done now while there's some really favorable systemic stuff in terms of pass volume, when that reduces what's going to happen tonight's game could be really, really, really bad. I don't want to waste your time talking about it. There's three players though. I want to touch on before you get out of here. And they are three of the biggest risers in ETRs top 150. Tyler Lockett, Josh Jacobs, and, and David Njoku. What are your thoughts on these guys and can they keep up kind of their very impressive starts to the season, at least where they fall positionally? Yeah, we had a lot of debate on Tyler Lockett internally. And Levitan was not a big fan. Uh, it's it's tough because he's like wide receiver eight right now. Yeah. So a lot of the regression that comes in, it's like, okay, c- can he still be wide receiver 25, right? Like, obviously, he's not going to stay wide receiver eight. But he is somewhat I – do, I do think it teaches us these guys in particular, a Lockett and Jacobs – teach us a little bit of a lesson about upside um, and how it's like hard to define prior to the season. And there's, there's a point at which a guy 
like you want to bake in upside cases to your your offseason rankings, right? Because that's what wins fantasy leagues. But sometimes a player that just has a little bit of talent, has a pretty good role, things can kind of just shake out favorably in a way that we couldn't predict. And the ADPs on Lockett and Jacobs got kind of absurd. I think in some homely stuff, it didn't matter as much. But when Jacobs was falling to like round seven and Lockett in um he was someone that like we were ahead of ADP on because there was just like no way to make it not like with our projection system. So sometimes those guys, even though they feel real gross, like there becomes a price at which they're worth betting on. They're not like, I think in our heads, we think there's like 0% chance they have an upside case, but digressing from that thinking the rest of the season, like with Seattle, I mean, this Gino stuff's absolutely wild, man. Like a he guy who, plastic. he looks really good. I mean, a guy who, can't get on the was bad when he played when he was younger and then couldn't really get on the field and now he's completing you 75 percent of his passes and it's absurd you know so it's just something that's really hard to predict like like i have no idea how geno smith's gonna play the rest of the season so there's some uncertainty there and it's a team that as good as they played offensively i think they still have like three weeks where they ran less than 50 plays which is insane so I'm kind of lukewarm on Lockett. Excuse me. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, and then, yeah, we talked about this the other night on the show. The it's we love the the consolidated target share for for Gino. It's he's got the two very good wide receivers, and he's going to him quite often. And I know you're bullish on Walker. And if you kind of if you take tight end and you add them all together, <clears throat> they don't look so bad either for for him. So they're they're using he's he's utilizing his weapons well in Seattle and. And they've been super efficient. So I'm, I think Lockett has a chance to be a wide receiver too when the season ends. Um, I think so. I think wide receiver two is fair. It's kind of like the Miami situation too. Like, like they have two guys, they're getting it to the right two guys. And it, when that happens, you're kind of glad they're both there because you, you, you thread that needle of enough attention to be split defensively enough macro offensive success but then the volume stays high so i I think like wide receiver like 25 overall is is where we settle on him and that seems fair to me but it's something that like could continue to move like sharply in one direction or the other as we get more and more data on if geno smith is real or not as far as josh jacobs he's been phenomenal like not only from a workload perspective which has been really good especially of late now they're just keeping him on the field i know we lost a prop on his under on, on receptions last week uh, he had five receptions i think he's the five receptions a couple games in a row now so the receiving is upticking he's the clear goal line back he's 100 percent the base back and you know i'm far from a film guy but like he's flashing legitimately too you know it's not like he's just like they almost have to utilize him more than they've been. And that's more than they did early. And that's sort of the the trend and the way we're seeing it play out is like, he's played legitimately really, really well aside from getting the workload we want to see. So Jacobs, I'm a little bit more bullish on than Lockett. Cause I think like this, I, I guess it's a little bit more safety in the offense overall. Um, but yeah, he looks really, really good better than I think anyone could have expected. Yeah. He's the league winner right now. If you have him especially in the high stakes where he drops sometimes into the like absurd levels. People have eighth round, seventh round, Josh Jacobs shares. Um, and if you went wide receiver early and hit on a couple of those good ones, 
You're looking fantastic. And then just quickly, your your thoughts on David Njoku. Yeah, Njoku, this is what we see sometimes with these teams that are a little bit run heavy, which is we just get this super condensed passing tree. And sometimes our concerns is if the volume is going to be there. But sometimes what we see with target shares is as the team throws less, they they scale a little bit differently than when they throw a lot. And I think we're seeing that with Cleveland, where the games where they don't throw a lot, we can see some outsized target shares for Amari Cooper and David Njoku. And there was definitely a lot of panic with Njoku after week one, where it was like, oh man, he signed this contract. We kind of built in, they would use him more. And he had like, I think he had like one target that game. That was insane. But he's at 19%, 32%, 20%, 18% target shares his last four weeks. So just extremely safe. And as someone who does have like some Kyle Pitts and, and like George Kittle, it's like, it's tough when you're looking at the consistency and Joku has been able to give you relative to those guys. I think the other guys I'm still playing over in Joku right now on the, the hopes of like the really high end upside, but beyond that, I don't, you know, I think I would take in Joku versus Higby is an interesting one who you have there. I think I'm going to go Higby just because they're so limited in Los Angeles. And I think that, there's the question marks at the running back position and the offensive line. It's made Higby into kind of a, he's the argument that he's this year's uh, Dalton Schultz is Mm -hmm. there. I think he's going to end up with a ton of targets and a ton of receptions. And he's a little bit more boring because I think that the spike weeks for Najoku, especially when Watson returns could be better than maybe Higby, but I think Higby weekly floor, you've got to think like he's a top six tight end. Um, just because of the baked in, you know, he's going to get seven, eight, eight targets a lot of these games. So tight end's a mess, and uh, I'm happy I have Higby where I have him. Yeah, that, that's a big win right now, especially FFPC tight end premium because the lack of efficiency, I mean, we were we were holding off a Higby team one week in one of the high-stakes leagues that ETR did together, and we're like, there's no way he's going to get there, and it's just like seven-yard catch, seven-yard catch. And that's like two points a pop, right? Like yep. 2.2 points. Two, and it was like, oh, my God, he's going to get any – he ended up coming just short. But, yeah, in full tight end premium too, um, that floor meshes with ceiling a bit more because you don't need big plays and touchdowns in that format. You get a guy that catches seven balls, and you've got a really, really good tight end game. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Um, well, Mike, we, we've, we've hit almost 55 minutes here. You've been very uh, generous with your time. Let everybody know where they when where they can find Establish the Edge and also your articles on Establish the Run when you're dropping them. Yeah, Establish the Edge is a podcast that I do, free podcast. You can find that on iTunes. Sometimes it's simulcast on the Establish the Run YouTube channel. I'll try to do a couple episodes each week looking at underperforming wide receivers and running backs, and then another one looking – at the DFS game stacks for the week with Adam Roush, who helped us develop our GPP game scores. And then you can find me on Establish the Million. This is our Saturday GPP show over at Establish the Run that I do with Drew Dinkmeyer. If you're playing NFL DFS GPPs, um, that's that's the most fun show I do. So definitely check it out. Is there a game you want people to take a look at um, in terms of DFS purposes for this weekend? I mean, it's all about Kansas City, Buffalo, and... If you're playing it, how are you getting unique? Because the salaries on Buffalo side didn't really change a lot from last week. So it's going to be super popular between the success Buffalo had last week and 
I mean, every everybody knows this is going to be the highest scoring game of the week. So if you can you full fade the game, can you not? So we'll be talking through that quite a bit, but that's everything is kind of centered around that game in terms of how you're constructing your lineups. Well, we highly recommend Mike's work. Uh, he's one of the sharpest guys around. Hope everybody enjoyed this today. We're going to be back here later tonight for another Goat District tailgate. We have Jared Smola of Draft Sharks, another very, very sharp guest coming on tonight uh, to help you get ready for, for your week ahead. Mike, thanks for joining us, and everybody have a great rest of your day.